Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us here at Believer's Victory Church. Today we have an inspiring, powerful message that will change your life. Let's listen in as Pastor Peggy Heal teaches us from the Word of God. Hallelujah! Good to be here, good to be here. Isn't it great to be in church? Aren't you just so thankful? I don't know about you, but you say, well, you say that because you're the pastor. No, I say that because it's true. I'm so thankful for church. You know, I got saved in church is, is, you know, people say, man, you've changed a lot. People that knew me way back. And I tell you, it's church that did it. Amen. It's being part of church. It's being uh, part of a body. It's having people who love you and care about you and pray for you and stand with you. And, you know, we're not made to do life by ourselves. We're made to do life together. Amen. That's how God made us. When you try to do something and you're not made that way, it's never going to work out. It's never going to work out. You might get a little bit of result, but you're not going to get the results that you are designed to have. Amen? Amen. It's kind of like, you know, at our house, I'm not really allowed to hang anything up. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not, I'm not allowed, you know? I mean, if Scott hears some pounding, he's like, what are you doing? You know, because um, usually I'm just kind of like, There right? It's never center. It never stays up. You know why? Because I use all the wrong tools. I don't do it right. And so I don't get the result. But then when Scott does it, he measures. It amazes me the math that Scott is able to do in his head. It just, I'm always amazed and impressed by it. It's just, I just sit there in awe as he's like saying all these numbers and doing all this stuff. And I'll tell you, when he hangs something up, it never moves. It will never move again. It will never move again. But you know what? Life is like that. When you do it God's way, you're on the rock. Amen. You're on the rock. When you use God's tools, the change lasts. Amen? When you do it God's way, it looks the way it's supposed to. It looks the way it's supposed to. Not a big jumbled mess of crazy and all of that. And if you say, well, that's where I'm at right now. Well, start doing it God's way right now and let God just take that and straighten that out. Amen? That's what God says he'll do. He says he'll make a crooked path straight. So if you feel all crooked and jumbled up right now and you're like, man, I just, I just, oh, I don't know. My message is for you today because my message is, is really it's about when everything feels wrong, God can make it right. Come on, Amen. When everything feels wrong, God can make it right. And so we've been talking about faith the last few weeks and uh, we're still in that. We're still in jump into faith. And, uh, you know, i Scott texts me, he's like, are you still doing that series? And I'm like, yeah, I'm still doing that series. All right, turn over to John chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. All right, here we go. So we're, we're going to look at this and what we've been doing through this. And I think the reason I love this series so much is because we're just taking a little bit of Scripture and we're just pulling it out and just getting a lot of meaning and a lot of understanding from just a small portion. We're really learning some things. And I'm a teacher by nature, and so that's probably why I really love this series that we're doing. And here in John chapter 4, this may not seem like a very important Scripture, but when you know the backstory of things and when you study study things out, something that seems insignificant suddenly can become very significant. Amen? And he said, the Bible says this, talking about Jesus, he said, he left 
Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he decided, but he needed, not decided, but he needed to go through Samaria. And we look at this, and we, this sounds kind of like a Google map search, right? Like, you go here, and then you go here, and then you go here, right? But the thing about it is, is Jesus is traveling from point A, Judea, to point B, Galilee, and the quickest route was through Samaria. And it's a simple enough verse, it's very, right? It's pretty simple. But he, the thing that makes this very interesting is that he takes a route through Samaria, and that doesn't seem strange or overwhelming or weird to us. And, but the thing about it is, it is a very powerful verse because during this particular time that Jesus is doing this, if you were endeavoring to introduce the gospel, to preach the gospel to people, you would know that you were presenting it first. We know through the Bible it was presented first to the Jewish communities. And if you were coming up with a strategy and a plan uh, to make it well-received, you know, you want people to hear what you have to say, this verse would never have been included. And here's why. A Jewish person at this time would find this verse very offensive, very offensive. And in fact, would take offense to the whole situation about what we're going to read today. And here's why. Because Gentiles, when the Bible talks about Gentiles, those are people who are not Jews. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile in the Bible. And the, because we're Gentiles, the power and the, and the uh, implications of this verse are somewhat lost on us. We don't really understand. And so we're going to look at a couple of points here to kind of make us see why this verse is so important and how it applies to me today. How many know the Bible applies to you today? Amen. The Bible applies to me today. People say, oh, the Bible is old-fashioned. The Bible isn't relevant. Well, when you read the Bible, you see that people still deal with all the same problems. No problems have changed because here's the thing. Times change, but people really don't. We all still deal with the same stuff. And so here we go. And when we read this, you're going to be like, uh-huh, that sounds real familiar. Because here's the thing. Here's why this scripture is so important. It's because of the people, the Samaritans. How many have heard the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Well, when you understand the whole thing about this, you would realize that the Samaritans were absolutely despised by Jews. They were hated. Whatever you would consider the most pronounced racial slur in existence today that would epitomize racial bias or disgust for an individual solely based on their race, that is how the, Israel, the, the Israelis, the Jews, that is how they felt about Samaritans. There was such a divide that they would not even associate with them in any way. They would not go near their town. They would not go near where they live. They would go way out of their way so that they would never have anything to do with Samaritans. The level of hatred that they had for them was so high that the Jews hated Samaritans. And here's why they did. And it doesn't excuse it, but it's giving us history. And so when we hear that Jesus said he needed to go through Samaria, we're like, hey, that, that's important. Every verse in the Bible is important and has meaning and can apply to our lives. And so the reason that the Jews hated Samaritans hinged on the fact that hundreds of years earlier, how many know a lot of times we're fighting a fight that's not even ours? 
is from way, I mean, you're, you weren't even there, right? And so it hinged on the fact that hundreds of years earlier, when Israel was taken into captivity, how many know, if you read the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel, they had some problems, didn't they? That happened Wednesday night, too. I think I'm just, I'm just being, uh, I'm, yeah, yeah, it's my anointing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or you guys like, or the praise wants to come back. Maybe that's it. But anyway, the Jews hated the Samaritans, and here's why. Because when the Jews were taken into captivity hundreds of years before, there was a small group of them left. A small group was left behind, and they were, the history tells us they were undereducated, they were unskilled, and the people left behind, they committed a violation of Jewish code of conduct, and it was a big one, a very big one. They intermarried with inhabitants of the area. And Jews did not do that. And so they intermarried, and as a result, they became a despised race. And so if you ever wonder where Samaritans came from, that's where they came from. And so the new race developed their own area, their own government, their own culture. And as a result of this, they became the Samaritans. But how many know we know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And so... So we know the people, why it was such a big deal, where Jesus was going to. And now let's think about the place, the place where it's called Samaria. And if you were Jewish and you were traveling from Judea to, to Galilee, the most direct way was to pass through Samaria, but you would not. The Jewish people hated the Samaritans so much they would go way, way around so they wouldn't have to have anything to do with them because they just didn't want to be there. And so sometimes we can feel like we're in the wrong place. We're, maybe people are making us feel like we're the wrong people. You're the wrong person. But you know what? The Bible says this in John 4, 4, but he needed to go through Samaria. That's how, that's how this story starts. And you know what? When we get a little further, you're going to be like, oh, this is the story we're talking about. Jesus needed to go through there. And you know what? You know what that tells me? Jesus would go where he needs to go. <clears throat> Amen? It doesn't matter what people have told you, and maybe all through history or all through your culture or all through whatever, through your life, maybe your parents have told you that you were not wanted, that you were not planned, or you were not whatever, and always made you feel like you're in the wrong place, the wrong, you're just wrong. But you know what? Jesus still goes to those places. He still ministers to those people. And so we see the place. It's Samaria. We see the people, the Samaritans. And really, this, you know, when we're talking about it, the perspective, it's that. Did I miss something here? Yes. He needed to go through there. And when we think about the human moment, and when we get there, one of the things that I've talked a lot about this is the Gospels, the difference of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke were already written. They had been written and widely passed out around, among people. People had read this account, but when John wrote his account, it was different from all the other Gospels. The other Gospels are a chronological order of Jesus' life, but the book of John is different. The book of John, John, the, the disciple, he's trying to give us the human perspective of Jesus. He's trying to show us not just what he did, but who he was. Amen. Who he is. And so when we read the book of John, we're going to get a little bit of a different, a little different perspective of what's happening. And one thing that John gives us, he gives us that human perspective of Jesus. And we see that because when we look here, the Bible says in John 4, 6, keep 
we're going to keep going here. It says, now Jacob's well was there. He said he needed to go through Samaria. And it says, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And that's the New King James Version. So what does this tell me? In all the other Gospels, we're hearing about how Jesus did a miracle and Jesus calmed the sea and Jesus did all these miraculous things. But in the book of John, we hear those things too. But we also hear that Jesus was tired, that Jesus was hungry. Why? Because John is trying to show us that Jesus was a man anointed by God, amen, when he walked on this earth. And so we see his humanity in the book of John. And it's a different image of Jesus. It's a different, it's a different perspective. And you know what that tells me? You're never too tired. The Bible says that Jesus was weary. He was tired. He went the shortest route. He went through Samaria. He was tired and he sat down. And you know what? Sometimes we feel like, you know, there's just nothing's happening. But God will move. No matter how tired you are, God can still move. Amen. Amen. And here's the really, really cool part about this story. I think it's really great that, jo that John pointed out in verse number six, now Jacob's well was there. Now Jacob's well was there. Now to understand the significance of this, you got to understand wells and why they were so important. A well in a community is obviously where everybody went to get their water, right? But it was also a meeting place. It's where everybody met up. It's where everybody talked, everybody was there, and it's really interesting because the Old Testament, Jacob met Rachel, his great love, guess where? At the well. And he, he, he decided after he saw her in Genesis 29, 20, it says, it seemed only a few days to him because he loved her. He agreed to work for seven years in order to earn her hand in marriage. Ladies, that's a good thing to listen to. If he won't work now, hello. If he won't work now, don't think he's going to all of a sudden change when you get married. That's another message. <laughs> That's another series. But he, he saw her and he, he loved her so much that it was demand. He said, her father said, you can work for me seven years and then you can have her. And he loved her so much that he said it only seemed a few days to him. That's just romantic, isn't it? That's romantic. And this was a famous well in Jewish culture just from that story because Isaac met Rebecca. He found her there in Genesis 24, that tells us. Wells in this time were not only the place where you gathered. It was really, if you think about it, like where's everybody meeting people now? Online, right? It was like the dating place. The wells were the dating place. It's where you met people because it was one of the few places that you could go and everybody could intermingle together. And so a well is super important. And so in the eyes of the Jewish people, this story is not starting out well because Jesus is going through a place he's not supposed to go. Now he's hanging out in a place where men go to meet women. Did you hear that? Because that's why men went there. Men, went, men didn't get water. Women did. That was a woman's job in this culture, to go and get the water. So if you're a man hanging out at a well, well, what are you there for? You're there to meet somebody. And so we see that Jesus is going through the wrong, the wrong place. He's sitting in the wrong place, and now he's getting ready to talk to the wrong person. Because the next verse tells us, it was about the sixth hour, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. 
So this woman is not only a Samaritan woman, but she comes to the well at the wrong time. Because the women came to the, this woman came to the well alone. And how many know that women don't do anything alone? They don't go to the bathroom alone, right? If you're, if you're somewhere, it's like, let, we, we go together because that's just how we are. We do stuff together. And that's how culture was. All the women would come and they would get the water at the same time. And that's when they would talk and that's when they would fellowship and that's when they would have fun. But this lady is there all by herself. And so she's there at the wrong time. And so it tells us a little bit. So everything in this setting, in just these few verses, we see is wrong. Nothing fits with the culture of the day. And you know what? Just like now, many times what Jesus tells us to do and what his word says, it does not fit with the culture of the day. We're not made to fit in. Amen? And so we see the place is wrong. Jesus wasn't supposed to be in Samaria. We see the time of day is wrong. The woman wasn't supposed to be gathering water at that time. We see the man is wrong. Jesus wasn't supposed to be tired, right? When we think of Jesus, we don't think of him as tired. But John said he was tired and he had to sit down, let alone hanging out in a place where they come to meet women. And so we look at this and we see, why is this in the Bible? Why is this important? I believe it's because God knew that 2,000 years later, 2019 years later, right where we are, there would be people in our day who felt like their lives were all in the wrong, not working out, where everything you look is like, that's wrong. I don't fit here. It's wrong. Nothing seems to be working. I'm, I'm an outcast. I'm alone. Why would God, why would God put that in there? Because no matter how wrong your life is, God can always make it right. No matter how wrong it may seem, no matter how alone you may feel, no matter how much of an outcast you may have become, no matter how many mistakes that we have made, no matter how wrong something looks on the outside, God can always make it right. And we're going to see that. Because here's the thing, what I'm going to learn from this story is that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. He's tired. He sits down at the well. He begins to talk to this woman, and we're going to talk about the conversation that they had, and we're going to find out why she was there by herself and what was happening. But the first thing I want us to see here is Jesus will go places others won't go to find us. I love that song. We played it in prayer in the morning a bunch of times, that reckless love song. And, you know, there's a part of us, there's a part of us where, you know, how many of us were practical? Any practical people we have in here? Where it talks about he'll leave the 99 to find the one. And there's all of us in here, the practical people were like, that doesn't even make sense. Why would you do that? You're going you're gonna to jeopardize 99 to go get one. But you know what? That's what Jesus does. God will, he, there's, there's no mountain he won't climb up. You know, I'm terrible at the words of song. There's no whatever, there's nothing that he won't do for you. Amen? There's no wall he won't break down. What's the other line of the song? See, let's preach it, right? And it's true because that's Jesus. And just like here, God knew there was a woman that was going to be at that well at the wrong time. And here, Jesus is going, and he's supposed to be the Messiah. He is the one, he is who the Jews are looking for, but he's doing it all wrong in their opinion. But Jesus will do it for you. Amen? Jesus will go places others will not go to find us. 
And we're saying, you know, sometimes we're always like, oh, I'm praying for, uh, you know, we, in our minds, we're like, man, if I, you know, and people do this so often with God, they think, man, if I could just, if I could just get it together. Anybody ever pray that prayer? Like, Lord, if I could just get it together, then I could get in relationship with you. Then I could have a conversation with you. Then I could pray to you. Then I could feel close to you. And you don't have to get anything. You just got to be open to Jesus. We don't have to go find him. He finds us. Amen? We just have to be open. We have to be open, but so often we're like, man, if I could just, if I could just do this, then God would love me. If I could just do this, then God would accept me. And, and you know what? God's cutting through Samaria to come and find you right now. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what wrong you are in, what wrong side of the track, what wrong environment, what wrong relationship, no matter what is wrong, Jesus will still come for you. Amen? Amen? Because that's how much he loves us. How can we be sure of that? He went to Samaria. We have to, if you understand, if you have any idea of Jewish culture and the culture he was in, if you could think of the, the worst place, so somewhere where nobody, nobody would need to be, like, a, you know, sometimes I knew there was a, a pastor, there's a lady in Las Vegas, and she has a tremendous ministry to strippers. Tremendous ministry. And it's amazing, but yet people hassle her. And give her a hard time because they say, you shouldn't be there. And she's like, these women are not going to come to me. I need to go to them. And so she's there. You know what? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And so, and that's exactly what Jesus did here. And so if you think about like the, the one place you would never expect Jesus to be, that's this place. That's at this time, talking to this woman. And so if you feel like you're in a place in your life that God will not reach you, he cannot come for you, this story tells you he'll come anywhere, he'll go through anything, and he'll talk to anybody because he loves them. Amen? He loves them. You know, we just thought those were directions. But those were telling us the love of God. Amen? The love of Jesus. The other thing that this story shows me, number one, Jesus will go places that he'll go anywhere. And number two, Jesus will meet you during your day, not just on Sunday. Amen? I remember one time I was sitting at the traffic light at 10th Avenue and Military Trail, and I was getting ready to turn left. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden this kid from my youth group jumped in my car. I was a youth pastor. And he jumped in the car, and he's like, hey, can you give me a ride? And I was like, sure, you know, you're already in my car, right? <laughs> and I said, uh, I go, he goes, where are you going? I said, I'm on my way to work. And he goes, where do you work? <laughs> it's my favorite, my dad's favorite joke. And I said, I work at the church. And he goes, really? I thought you were only there on Sunday and Wednesday. And I was like, no, there's a little more to do than just on Sunday and Wednesday. And it, it, just, it just struck me as funny that so often we can put God in a compartment. And you can put your relationship with God in a compartment. 
And a lot of times people do that, man, you see them on Sunday and they're all holy roller and then you see them on Friday night, man, and you're like, whoa, what happened in six days? What happened? Well, they're putting God in a compartment. This is my Sunday life. This is my Friday night life. This is my Saturday life. Man, when you are double like that, the Bible says you'll always be unstable. You know why there's so many unstable people in the world? Because they're double-minded. The Bible says when you're double-minded, you are unstable in all your ways. God wants to be every day. Amen? And God met her. God will show up during the weekday. He doesn't just work on weekends. Amen? And I, I said that about my dad because my dad always says, whenever I say, oh, I got to work, he always says, oh, you got a job? You know, every time for the last 20 years, he has been saying that. And then he cracks up laughing because he thinks it's so hysterical. And I laugh along with them, you know, what are you going to do, right? But the thing is, is that just like, just like we don't work this weekends, people need pastors all through the week. But you know, even more so, God, you need, we need God all through the week. And God's showing us here because normally people only had spiritual conversations in certain settings. And here Jesus is in the wrong place at the wrong time, talking to the wrong person, and he's getting, to getting ready to have a powerful spiritual conversation. Sometimes the most powerful spiritual conversations you have are not in church. They're, they're sitting in a car somewhere. They're talking on the phone. They're at dinner with somebody. They're sitting in somebody's living room. That's when real conversations begin to take place. And so here we see where Jesus begins to talk to her in verse number seven. We're just going right down the line. And he, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The woman was shocked. She was shocked that Jesus, number one, spoke to her. Because in that culture, a Jewish rabbi wouldn't talk to anyone who wasn't his mother, his daughter, or his wife. It was against the rabbinical code. And, you know, it's interesting. I read an article a little while ago in the newspaper where the airlines, U.S. Air, has a direct flight from New York to Israel. And they were having difficulty because the rabbis on the flight would not sit next to women. They would not sit next to a woman. And they would not listen or talk to a female flight attendant. So we think this is like old, gone away. No, it's still in effect today. Still in effect today. And then, no matter what time it was, no matter where the flight was, if it was time to pray, that Jewish rabbi is up, no matter if that seatbelt sign's on, and they would not listen. They would not listen. That's what a big deal. And this is 2019. Imagine what it was like then. And so the woman is shocked that Jesus is even talking to her. She's shocked that he's sitting there. She's shocked that he's there. And then the woman, of, in verse number 9, it says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. No dealings with them. And Jesus disregards that question. And Jesus, you know, you ever notice when you're talking to God, he'll ask you another question? When you're talking to the Lord, he doesn't just say, answer your question, but he'll take you like on a little trail through his word or maybe through a message. And you're just like, where are we headed here? And that's what he does. He says, if you knew the gift of God, she's still trying to figure out what he's doing there. 
But he answers her in verse number 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so the woman's all freaked out a little bit. And so she says, verse number 11, where then do you get this living water? Living water. And Jesus, again, he kind of zigs and zags and steps. He doesn't stop the conversation, but he goes on to say, he tells her, he asks her a question. He says, go and get your husband. In verse number 17, he sa she says, I have no husband. He doesn't answer her question. He says, well, go get your husband. She says, I have no husband. And then in verse number 17, he says to her, you have well said, I have no husband. This is where it's going to get real interesting. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. Jesus knows more about us than we care to admit. And the woman goes on to say, I don't have this verse up there, but then she goes on. She said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> right? And so let's just get back to the story. Let's see where we're at. So we see that Jesus is in a place he's not supposed to be. He's talking to a woman he's not supposed to talk to. And now not only is she just any woman, she is a woman that has five husbands. How many know even today in 2019, that's kind of like, whoa. And now she's with a guy. She's living with a guy. And this is over, you know, over 2,000 years ago. Culture is very different. And so it would be like a shock and a surprise. And Jesus says, you know what? You've spoken truly about that. You've spoken truly. And here's the thing that shows me is that he called her out. There, she's talking about water. Where do you get the water? Why are you asking me for a drink? He says, go and get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Next thing you know, he's reading her mail, telling her everything about her. You know what that tells me? Jesus knows everything about us. Quit trying to hide the ugly facts about our life from Jesus because he already knows. Amen? He already knows. We don't have to put on or put a show on for Jesus because he knows the real us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows us. He knows our heart. And it's not about what we're portraying. It's about who we really are. And so when I look at this story, I can see that Jesus is going to come and find me no matter what. And when he gets there, no matter how dirty, no matter how messy, no matter how messed up it may be, he's going to know, but he still came. He knows, but he still died for you. He knows, but he still loves you. We don't have to hide anything from him. We don't have to pretend we're anything. He already knows everything. And you know what that tells me? Is failure doesn't determine my future. Amen. Amen? Failure doesn't determine my future. This woman didn't plan on having five husbands. Who gets married and says, well, you know, I hope you do a good job as number three. Right? You, because number four is coming. Nobody does that. Nobody gets married with a plan of it not working out. But oh, so often it doesn't. But when people stand before this podium, when couples are here, man, they love each other. And in their minds and in their hearts, their plan is it for it to be forever. Isn't that the truth? That's the truth. And so the thing about it is, what this shows me, is even though there was failure in her life, Jesus still showed up for her. Not just one failure. 
And we don't know the backstory. We don't know what it was. But we just know that things didn't work out the way this lady planned. And maybe you're here today and you're like, man, things haven't worked out the way I planned. And the enemy is telling you over and over again that you need to straighten up. You need to get it together. You need to do all this. Then Jesus. And this story shows me, no, Jesus will come no matter what's going on. And he'll sit down right next to me no matter what's in my past, no matter where I'm from, no matter what mistakes I've made, no matter what side of the track I'm on, no matter how, what, what wrong place I'm in. Man, God spoke to me in one of the most profound ways in my life when I was getting ready to walk into a bar. I've told that story many times. I was walking in a Cruzan liquor stand on, on Oak, was it Palm Beach Lakes or Okeechobee, and the Lord spoke to me so clearly, and it changed my life. God will speak to you wherever you are. Amen? No matter what's going on, Jesus will come. And our failures, they don't determine our future. You know, she had a choice. She had a choice to make. She could have got up and left when Jesus started reading her mail. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of us do. And as soon as things start getting real, and Jesus is like speaking into our hearts, and he's, he's calling some things, and he's, he's locating us, and he's saying what we really need, sometimes we just want a Band-Aid when really we need surgery. You know, we're just like, Jesus, just get me through today. And Jesus is like, I'm trying to change your life. Jesus wants to change your life. He doesn't want to just change a day. He said, I come that you may have life and life to the fullest. Amen? She could have got up and left. He wasn't holding her there. He starts bringing up her past and bringing up all this stuff and saying she's been married five times and now she's shacking up with a guy and, and all this. He's calling her out. She had a choice to make. But you know what? That's why we got to get real and not religious. We got to get real and not religious because here's the thing. As soon as, as soon as Jesus starts calling her out and talking to her, she starts to change the subject in John chapter 4, verse number 20. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. What is she doing? She's pulling out what she knows. I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to somebody about their life, about God helping them and healing their heart and mending them and, and moving in their life, and all of a sudden they'll start talking about some, something crazy that's from their past or some Catholic tradition that they had or ask me a religious question. It's like, that's not the point. It's not the point. You're trying to get back in your comfort zone of religion and method and process and Jesus is trying to do open heart surgery on your heart. When God starts talking about what's going on in your life, don't start saying, well, you know, uh, should we come to church on Sunday? Or some people go to church on Saturday. Who cares? Go to church. Come on now. You know, people get so caught up in these religious questions because you're trying to work things out in your head instead of your heart. It's amazing to me that when you're talking about the things of God, just like this lady, she pulls out a religious question, and people do it. They're like, was Jonah swallowed by a fish or a whale? Who cares? Who cares? When you're asking those questions, ask yourself, will the answer to this question transform my life? If it won't transform your life, get back with Jesus. 
doesn't mean that we're not going to learn and we're not going to grow. But in times like this, when God, you know, and, and here, let's, let's, just, let's just bring it home. When God is moving and God is speaking to us and God is turning up our hearts and God is healing, he's doing a work. You know what that feels like. And if you don't know, you need to get into more services where God begins to move or you need to get into your prayer closet. You got to spend some time with God. And then all of a sudden we're just like, well, is this even, is this even right? Is this, should, should that person over there, should they be laughing? Should this person over there, should they be running? Should this person over there be laying on the floor? You just checked out of your heart into your head. You did exactly what this lady did. God's trying to do a work, and we're getting our focus where on stuff that's, that's way outside. Because that's what she said. She's like, he's like, in this you have spoken truly. And he's talking about living water. And he's saying, he's saying that he can change her. And she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And, our Jew, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. You've got to remember that so much division between Samaritans and Jews. She's starting to stir up a bunch of stuff that isn't, isn't going to help anything. Instead of getting real, she goes back into her comfort zone. By focusing on details that are not important. If you're going to ask a question, ask yourself, is this going to change my life? Let's get real. Amen? Let's get in a real relationship with Jesus and not get caught up in the religious rules that you think are important. You know what's important to Jesus? That you have a relationship with him. That's important to him. It's not about what you wear. It's not about uh, what, what kind of hair you have or if you have tattoos. or if you, People are arguing about tattoos and not getting people saved. Who cares if people have tattoos? What matters is if they're born again. Who cares? Don't write me a letter about why tattoos or whatever. I'm just saying it's not what's most important. Amen? It's not what's most important. Or we're trying to, you know, people come to us and they, they've got an, a, an issue and we're like trying to fix the issue before we give them living water. doesn't work. We need Jesus to fix issues. We need Jesus. And so this lady, she's saying, but he tells her, but the hour is coming in verse number 23. Because here's the thing, she's focusing on where people are worshiping. And God's and Jesus is getting ready to tell her, it's not about where you worship, it's about how you worship. Because until you change your heart, you won't change your life. Amen? Until you change your heart, you won't change your life. Jesus saw that she's pulling out a religious card. He's pull, he, she's pulling out tradition. She's pulling out the past. She's pulling all that out. And he tells her, but the hour is coming. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Had nothing to do with the location. Had everything to do with the heart. Amen? The enemy will try to tell you you can only worship in church. No, you can worship anywhere. Because here's the thing. The next principle that we're learning here is faith begins in worship. Faith begins in worship. When you humbly come before God and say, God, I can't be the mom, I can't be the dad, I can't be the boss, I can't be the employee, I can't be the pastor, I can't be the person I'm supposed to be without you, I need you. You just became dependent on God. You just became dependent on him. You know, why do we, why do we sing songs in church? It's not, it's not a ritual. We don't do it because it's a ritual. We don't do it because we've always done it. 
We do it because Jesus said God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Because here's the thing, if you won't sing in a service, you won't sing in a storm. If you won't worship in a service, you won't worship in a storm. And so when we worship here, we're worshiping corporately, not only to show how to do it, to get boldness to do it, but also it's training ground. Amen? It's training ground. Jesus teaches the lesson to the Samaritan woman. He opens her eyes and helps her see the difference between religious customs and true worship. She's all about the where. He's all about the how. Amen? That's why people that get bent out of shape about the particular song. Here's a newsflash for you. You will always gravitate to the style and the method of worship where you had your first experience and move of God. And then you will believe that that's the only way God can move. That's why older people like a certain style of music and younger people like a certain style of music and it can clash because you're about the what instead of the who. Amen? If you focus on the what, if you focus on the where, you're not worshiping the way we're supposed to. When we worship, it's the who. Amen? It's the who. And Jesus is telling her that our faith starts in worship. And so what do we learn? Just from these short, short little bit of scripture here, just a, a brief story. We learn that Jesus will go wherever he needs to go to reach you. Amen? You can never, I say it all the time. I will never not say this. I've been saying it for 25 years. You can go a thousand steps away from God. He's always one step back. And it doesn't matter where that one step takes place. My one step took place in a bar. In a bar. I put my foot on that. It was like a wood deck. I will never forget this moment, the longest day I live. I put my foot on that deck and I was, I was walking between two worlds. I was out and out doing this, but then I was coming to church and getting serious with God. I was, I was going between, I was like on a tightrope between two worlds. And I put my foot on that rock, on that, on that plank thing. And just on the inside, I've heard God's voice twice where it seemed like it was audible. Only twice. This was one of them. And the Lord just spoke so, it wasn't, it wasn't audible, but on the in, it was just so strong. On the inside, it just rose up in me. When we say that God spoke to us, it's not like this, it's from here up. My spirit man comes up. And I heard that voice. I was at a bar. I was in the wrong place, getting ready to do the wrong thing with the wrong people at the wrong time. God showed up, changed my life. I put my foot on there, and he said, this is not your place. You don't belong here. And I would love to say that I turned around and walked off and went back and got in my car and worshiped God and praised him, but I did not. I was like, okay. Walked right in. <laughs> How many have done that? Be honest, right? But you know what? Once I got there, it was different. 
It was different than every other time I'd been there. And as I looked around, I wasn't seeing what I normally saw. I wasn't seeing fun. I wasn't seeing life. I wasn't seeing anything like that. I, it's like blinders were removed from my eyes. And I turned around and left. And I'm happy to say I've never been back. Amen? Because here's the thing. Jesus will go places others will not go to find you. And so you may think you're at the wrong, 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 wrong place in your life. And you're so far from God that you can't, you don't feel like you'll ever connect again. But God will come for you. He has come for you. He is wherever you are. And he loves you. Amen? He loves you. Jesus will meet you every day, not just on Sunday. So what I learned just from this story where Jesus needs to go to Samaria, he needs to go the way that doesn't look like he should go. It's not the way religious people would go. Here's a newsflash. Jesus isn't religious. Amen. Jesus isn't. There's nothing religious about Jesus. And we say religious, we're talking about where the focus is on the process. The focus is on you and what you do. Did you say something enough times? Did you bend the right way? Did you stand up at the right time? Did you do everything right? That's religion. Jesus isn't about that. Jesus is about relationship. Amen? And he showed that when he spoke to that woman, he could have just kept preaching at her, which sometimes we can do that. But no, he called out what was... You have to remember the culture and the time. There had to be so much shame on her. She didn't go to the well with all the other ladies. You know why? Because they didn't want her to. She was embarrassed. She was filled with shame about her life. And you know what? There's people all over the world right now that are filled with shame about their life and thinking that God does not love them, does not care about them, does not want them because of everything they've done and they've been through and what's been done to them. And Jesus shows us from this story, he'll not only come, but he'll sit down right next to you and he'll talk about your deepest secrets, the things you don't tell anybody, the things that hurt you the most, and he will give you living water. Amen? And he'll do it wherever you are. Wherever you are. Because faith involves vulnerability. We got to get real with God. She could have got up. She could have got mad. You know, sometimes when, when things start coming up with people, they get mad and they walk out because they don't want to face it. And they don't want you to know you know it. But with God, let's just sit and let him do the surgery he wants to do. Amen. And failure doesn't determine your future. You know, we see all through the Bible where God used tremendous failures and turned them into amazing faith people. He still does that today. Amen? Let's get real and not religious. Let's get real. Let's get real. Quit looking at other people when you're worshiping and wondering if you're doing it right and just do it from your heart. Amen? Just do it from your heart. Quit, trying, quit letting the enemy tell you all the reasons why you can't worship. And you right, remind him of the one reason you can. His name is Jesus. Amen. 
And let's remember, until you change your heart, you'll never change your life. God doesn't want to just put a Band-Aid over stuff. He wants to heal what really is going on. And faith begins in worship. And here's what worship is. You say, well, what is worship? Is it just singing? No, worship is recognizing that he is God, that he is the shepherd, and I am the sheep. I need him. He's my father. I can't live without him. He's the source of my strength. He's the source of everything. And when you get that going, you worship. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for everybody here today. I just believe that.